Good morning, church. All right, y'all are awake. Don't tell them I said this, but anyway, never mind. Never mind. It is my pleasure to be here this morning. We haven't met yet. My name is Tyler Yeager. I am the uh, very freshly newly minted uh, college and careers minister here at Oldham Lane. Uh, I was, uh, had the blessing of being here two summers ago as the youth and family ministry intern, and despite Luke's best efforts, I decided to move here. Um, no, I fell in love. I did. I found a church family that uh, was doing a lot of good things and, and that I wanted to be a part of. And so I moved out here last summer. I took a teaching job at Jim Ned and, and was out there over the last year. And over the course of the last school year, God was at work in my life in ways that I never would have imagined. And so here I stand before you this morning saying, hi, I'm the college and careers minister. And I feel, I feel so blessed. I'm thankful. I love Oldham Lane. I love the Lord's church. I love the, the staff here. I love you. I love you. Just a few weeks ago, I had the privilege and the, the blessing of being at the Red River Family Encampment. Many of you uh, were there as well. And if you've never been, at 1,500 people under a tent listening to gospel preaching and, and, and singing and, and praising the Lord, it's, it's special. It is. And so one, one day I was there, we, I was sitting with some uh, church family from Arizona, and uh, we're listening to the speaker. And one of those, one of the people I'm sitting with, a young boy, his name's Bodie, he's 12 years old. He leans over and he whispers, hey, Tyler, do you like your new job? And I kind of just smile at him. I said, yeah, I do, but let's, let's talk about it later. And, and he said, okay, well, I just wanted to make sure. So someone's checking in on y'all, making sure you got, making sure I'm happy. So, uh, but, but in all seriousness, it's an absolute uh, blessing and a privilege to, to be here at Oldham Lane and to bring to you a portion of God's word this morning. Does life ever feel like this? Like you're hurtling through space at thousands of miles per hour and sometimes even hyperspeed isn't fast enough? I've had times in my life where I felt like I was stuck in this. Stuck in hyperspeed, feeling like I have all these things to do, no time to do them. So if I just hurry, I might be able to squeeze it all in. And inevitably, when that doesn't work, we start trimming our day to get it all to fit. And, and, and what goes first? Unfortunately, and maybe just for me, but I'm willing to bet it's not. Unfortunately, it's the things that matter most. For me, when I find myself in, in this state of mind, it was my prayer life. Maybe personal study time. Maybe even missing church because I was just too tired. There's other things that we could, we could see here to talk about, but... The point is, is I kept rushing and rushing, missing the bigger picture. We fill our lives with all of these distractions. If we're honest, that's, that's really what they are, just desires that we're chasing after. And if I hurry, I can fit them all in and all the things that, that matter most to me. While I was at Red River, I had a conversation. There was a, a group of ministers that met every morning in the early morning. And uh, I had a conversation with one of them one morning about the new job, and he asked me how it was going, and I, I kind of told him, you know, I'm a little overwhelmed. This is a lot. This is, this is intense, and kind of asked his advice, and he said, well, slow down. Start walking. One foot in front of the other. 
And don't beat yourself up because the world's going to do that enough for you. I didn't say anything. I kind of just, I looked at him. I smiled. But in my head, I was thinking, slow down. 20 years of ministry and that's your sage advice for me is slow down. You've got to be kidding me. Now, I didn't say that out loud. But he must have seen the look on my face. Because he, he gave me a pat on the back. He smiled and he said, no, Tyler, tr trust me. The church has a hurry problem. So do most ministers. We're all in a hurry. And if we, we want to walk with Jesus, we have to slow down. Did you know that the average person walks between two and a half and four miles per hour? If we want to walk with Jesus, we have to have a faith that lives at three miles per hour. And that's hard, living in an 80 mile per hour world. And honestly, out here in West Texas, it's more like 85, 90 miles per hour, right? And we're all going together and they can't pull us all over. I brag about that a lot to people from Arizona that we, we get to go fast here. But this is tough. We live in a world that does seem like it's constantly at 80 miles an hour. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this morning of having a three mile per hour faith. So I invite you to buckle in. Okay, buckle in and do some self-reflection. Take some inventory this morning. Take a minute to just sit and breathe and think about your life and not about all those other things that we spend our time thinking about. Well, I have to take the family to lunch after church and I got to get home and we need to get this done and this done. And we got to get back to Stop. I invite you to just be present this morning and be in the presence of the Lord and, and, and be here as we begin, I do want to caution you that I, I feel like I have a lot of material. Uh, and this probably could have been a sermon series. Uh, but because I'll, I'm not afforded that and we don't have enough time, I guess I'll hurry through it. Okay, that's, that's enough of the jokes, I promise. But I do have a confession. I do have a confession. And this is, this is what the world does to us, right? This is what the habits that we've trained. So we're in, we're in early service. And it's 9, 10. And I'm still standing here, and I'm still going, and what do I start doing? So I hope you don't have lunch plans, because I'm not going to do that. We're going to take our time this morning, and, and I really think that we might learn something. But let's talk about this hurry problem. If we were to go around this room this morning and talk about the great problems in the church today, what do you think would be said? I don't know how many of us would default to hurry as our answer, that, that hurry is a big problem for the church. But what would you say? The preaching of a false gospel, maybe? The rise of, of, of churches that just want to feel good and look good? Maybe it's uh, some uh, political issue in the culture war that we're fighting every day. Maybe it's some doctrinal issue. Maybe you'd say that the church is too liberal or the church is too conservative. I don't know what you would say, and I don't know that hurry is the first thing that comes to mind. But, and to be clear, I don't think that any of those things are necessarily wrong to worry about or concern ourselves with. But I think it just goes to show that we get so busy worrying about everything else that sometimes we forget to just be the church. But if we go back and look at Scripture, Satan doesn't literally show up as a demon with a pitchfork and a scary pointy tail and a gravelly evil voice like something you'd see on Saturday Night Live. But instead, sin and Satan creep into our life 
in a far more dangerous and alluring way. Today, we're far more likely to run into the enemy in the form of an alert on our cell phones while we're studying our Bibles or maybe even sitting in church here this morning. Or maybe it's a a multi-day Netflix binge because someone convinced you that you just had to see this show and so you take time out of your day to make it happen. Maybe it's the full-on dopamine addiction to the attention that we receive on social media when we share a post and it garners likes or we, we make a statement and it's big and bold and people cheer us on and we're, we get those claps and those amens and those, yeah, tell them like it is. And we're addicted to that feeling. We like that feeling. Maybe it's just a Sunday morning spent at the office or the ball field or on the lake instead of at church. Or maybe it's just simply commitment after commitment after commitment in your life, in a life of speed at 80 miles an hour. The truth is, none of us are going out of our way to sin. We're not going out of our way to cause ourselves problems. We don't enjoy problems, but they creep up on us, and they overwhelm us. And so we find ourselves hurrying faster and faster with each passing moment. I've often heard it said that Satan can't physically force us to sin, so instead he makes us busy. Because the truth is, busyness and sin have the exact same effect in our lives. They cut us off from our connection to God, they cut us off from each other, and they cut us off from the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. What is our primary goal and function as Christians, church? Is it not to have a relationship with Jesus? Is it not to be disciples of Christ? Is it not to spread the gospel, that is our primary function. That's what we signed up for. That's our bread and butter. If we're being brutally honest, does much else besides that matter to the point of worrying about it? Does much else matter to the point of hurrying through life? Honestly, no. Now, I know, if we're real, life is a lot more complicated than that, and I'm, on, and I'm certainly understanding of that. But the truth is, church, the speed that we try to live life at is not Christian. The speed that we try to live life at is not the speed of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about it this way. What is the greatest and foremost command in the New Testament? You know it. You know it well. It's it's to love. The gospel makes that crystal clear. Matthew chapter 22, 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, it's always a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. Everything we do is contingent upon loving with the love of Christ. But church, love is painfully time-consuming. Parents, you know this. You know this well, that love is time-consuming. Husbands and wives, you know this. Love is time-consuming. Anyone in a long-term relationship, anyone that has friends they deeply care about, anyone that has chosen the Christian walk, you know Love is painfully time-consuming. Hurry and love are incompatible, though. I want you to think 
on 1 Corinthians 13 for me for a second here. We know this is the, the chapter of love. And it, and it opens with its description of love with what? Love is, you can say it out loud, I won't yell at you. Love is patient. It starts in 1 Corinthians 13, I believe verse 4, that love is patient, love is kind. Why did Paul choose love as uh, patient as the first descriptor of love? I don't know. But I have a feeling it's because it's important. In some translations, it says love is long-suffering. Love sticks it out. Or the Tyler Yeager translation, love is not in a hurry. Christianity and hurry do not mix, church. Consider your worst moments as a parent. I mean the ones that you don't feel real good about. Your worst moments as a, as a spouse, your worst moment as a friend or as a child, your worst moments in your job, your worst moments maybe even at church or even just as a human being, the ones that we feel icky about, the ones that we're not real proud of, the ones that if we don't have to talk about, I'd rather not talk about it. For me, most of those moments came when I was in a hurry, when I was late for an appointment, when I was stuck in traffic when I was behind on my to-do list, when I was overwhelmed with my responsibilities, when I was trying to cram too much into a day, or maybe when I was running late for church. And in those moments, hurry creeps into our life and drags us away from Jesus. And so we go back to 1 Corinthians 13, and Paul begins his definition of love with the word patient. And if it's true that the whole gospel hangs on the fact that God loves us and he wants us to love, then it must be true that we must be patient and that the love that we lead our lives with must not be in a hurry. That alone in itself is reason enough for us to not hurry, I believe. But you might be asking, well, okay, fine. We need to slow down. But why else is hurry such a problem for the Christian walk? Well, I think the irony is in that sentence. We call it a Christian walk, not a Christian run or a Christian cruise down the highway. We call it walking with God. And I think walking with someone paints a very clear image. Think of a, a long walk on the beach. We don't, no one strives for a long run on the beach except for maybe a dog. But there's a reason we, we, we fantasize about that long walk on the beach. And I think it shows an image that's it's not messy it's not hurried. There's no panic. But it's calm. And it's intimate. It's soothing. It's comforting. Is that not true of Jesus Christ? Is that not the image that we should have when we, when we, des when we describe our faith to other people? When people see you, do they see you a, a Christian frazzled with too many responsibilities that feels overwhelmed by the weight of the world because I have to rise above all of it and I don't know if I can and I don't know if I'm doing right and I don't know if I'm doing it. <sighs> or do they see a Christian that's slowly walking with Jesus Christ? And as everyone shuffles past you in the hallway and shoulders you to get around you and you're in the way, you're not bothered. But this is ironic because in our culture, we use slow as an insult. When somebody doesn't think as fast as we do, or they don't know as much as we do, they're slow. When the service at a restaurant is lousy, 
we call it slow. When the movie doesn't get to the plot fast enough, it's slow. When the preacher takes too long, it's slow. Amen. It's slow. The dictionary defines slow as being, uh, uses words like dull, stupid. It also uses words like lacking and sluggish and insufficient. Our society has made the message clear. Slow equals bad and fast equals good. But is that true? Well, I think with most things, we're better off when we look to Scripture for answers rather than the world. So what does Scripture say about having a three-mile-per-hour faith in an 80-mile-per-hour world? Well, I think that Scripture shows us that living at 80 miles per hour prevents us from being effective disciples of Christ. Let's begin with one of my favorite lessons on hurry and worry that we find in Scripture, and I'm sure you know it well. It's in Luke chapter 10. It's verses 38 through 42. Now, when they were traveling along, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet and was listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving by myself? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said, Martha, Martha. You are worried and distracted by so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Do you ever find yourself telling God the same thing or telling yourself the same thing? I have so much to do and no one cares. The kids have practice and then I have work and then I have to make dinner. And what about homework? And then I have this thing going on. And what about that commitment? And we're supposed to be at church in 10 minutes. You know what? Forget it. We're not going well, church is just going to have to wait. And in my moments, I'll tell you what, this is, I kind of stay in that place. I do that to myself. I'm the kind of person that I, I feel like I always am worrying about things that really aren't things worth worrying about. And in those moments, I picture Jesus looking me in the eyes and saying, Tyler, Tyler, you are worried and distracted by so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Come sit at my feet. So is slow bad after all? Church, I don't think it is. Slow is not bad. Slow is good. Slow is the pace of learning. As Christians, that makes us disciples of Christ. That's what sets us apart from the world. As disciples of Christ, we're called to learn from him, to conform our lives to him. That means to completely rearrange our life to the pattern of the life of Jesus. We start by sitting at his feet. We start by learning from him. And in John chapter 13, verses 12 through 15, Jesus has famously washed the disciples' feet. I'm all backwards here, aren't I? He's famously washed the disciples' feet and he has this to say about being his disciple, about learning from him. When he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know that what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are correct, for so I am. So if I, the Lord and your teacher, washed your feet, 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example so that you would do just as I did for you. Come sit at the feet of Jesus and slow down, y'all. As disciples of Christ, we really have three basic goals. Be with Jesus. Be like Jesus. And do what he would do if he were you. The whole point of discipleship is to completely model our lives after Jesus. Sometimes we treat Jesus like it's a pastime or a hobby. Sometimes I treat Jesus like he's a pastime. It's something I do in my time off. It's something I do when I'm not doing other things. It's something I do when I'm not at work. It's something I do when I'm not with my family. It's something I do when I'm not with my friends. He's not a pastime, church. He's the solution. We have this hurry problem, and he's the solution. There's a reason that we call it salvation. Keep in mind that the Greek word that we translate salvation from is soteria. It's the same word that we translate to mean healing. When you're reading the New Testament and you read that somebody was healed by Jesus, and you read that somebody was saved by Jesus, most of the time you're reading the same word. Salvation is healing. Modern-day psychologists have penned the term hurry sickness. A constant feeling of anxiousness and anxiety. A constant feeling like there's something I'm supposed to be doing. There's something I forgot. I'm not getting everything done. How many of you ever have had hurry sickness? You don't got to raise your hand. You know. If we're honest, I think we're all victims of hurry sickness at a time or two. And there's healing in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus was all about, healing people and saving them. And for us, he does it through our discipleship to him. Now, coming back to Martha and Mary. How can we sit at Jesus' feet if we're busy running? When I started out teaching, before I became a full-time teacher, I I did a a year of substitute teaching to kind of get my feet on the ground and prove myself and impress the school district a little bit. And so I subbed in in the the third through fifth grades all the time. That's my comfort place. They're my people. I'm mentally the same age as them, eight, nine, and ten. So we get along really well. So I love it there. They're my people. One day I show up to the school that I'm always at, and okay, and they say, hey, something happened. We had to move some subs around. They need you at the, the primary across the highway. What do you do? Okay, well, I know that they're kinder first and second grade, and that's why I generally avoided that school because... Anyway, so I go over there, I pull up to the office, and I say, okay, where do you need me? I'm hoping they're going to say PE or second grade at the very, you know, worst, and kindergarten down the hall. So I walk in, and it's not like you're, like, it's not like the cute little image of kindergarten we have, where they're all sitting in their desks, and they're doing art, like, not like you walk by the bunny's classroom at all, okay? So I walk in there, and some are up, and they're hanging their things, and they're immediately coming up to me, and who are you, and why are you here, and asking all the questions, and then there's chaos, and they're fighting over here, and they're yelling over here. So for about an hour, I try to get them to be quiet, try to get them to sit down, and let's get started on our morning work, and it was not happening. I'm sure it sounded like we were having a a frat party in that classroom. So finally... After so long, uh, the kindergarten teacher next door, Mrs. K, I love her dearly, but when you see her 
she's a bad chicken. Like, she's coming in, and she's setting everybody straight. I didn't know her at that point. So this is my first meeting ever. And so I'm sitting in there, and I'm like, all right, sit down. Hey, we need to do this. And I'm kind of trying to explain to them the things that we have to do that day. And she comes in, and she goes, sit down. Be quiet. I didn't know you could talk like that to five-year-olds. I didn't know I was allowed, frankly. And then she looks at me and goes, okay, now what were you saying? And walks out. And that was it. And I wonder if there's times in our life where God looks at you and I and he says, sit down. Listen. And we can't because we're too busy running around panicking like someone d- dumped gasoline on us and lit us on fire. In 1992, the country music band Alabama said it better than maybe I could. I'm in a hurry to get things done. I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die. I'm in a hurry and I don't know why. And later in the song, towards the end, he says, I hear a voice that says I'm running behind. I better pick up my pace. It's a race and there ain't no room for someone in second place. I hear a voice that says I'm running behind. Church, that's the voice of Satan. God does not rush. God does not hurry us. He has expectations, and he wants us to meet them sooner rather than later. But in God, there is peace. When you feel rushed, when you feel flustered, when you feel afraid, that's not Jesus. That's Satan. At the beginning of our lesson, I shared with you the old saying, Satan can't force us to sin, so he keeps us busy. Because time with God is usually the first thing to go rather than our first go-to. Admittedly so, we often have our priorities out of order. We all have temptation and desire put in front of us every single day. One of the root causes of sin is the infinite desire we have, as, we have as humans. An insatiable thirst that I want what I want and I want it now and I want more of it. It's the, it was Eve's desire that led her to eat the forbidden fruit. And it is our desire that often leads us to sin. And in our infinite desire that we have with our limited time here on earth, we jam-pack our lives full of all these things. It's kind of like when you're going on vacation and you start packing the trunk and not everything's going to fit, so you just start cramming and cramming, and, and then you shut the trunk and then you go around from the backside and you start shoving stuff in this way. Maybe it's just my family. There's a lot of us. So when we'd go, it was lots of cramming. And we do this with our lives, and we, we, we try to pack our lives with all these things that we've convinced ourselves that we have to have this thing in order to be happy. I have to have this thing or do this thing in order to have joy. So we strap ourselves in and take off on this, on this insane journey of desire that will never be enough. But church, instead of buckling up, I think we should be settling in. We should be taking our posts at the feet of Jesus, preparing ourselves to be his disciples. And I think if we were to do so, if we were to approach the throne of God and sit at the feet of Jesus and ask him, Lord, Lord, I have a hurry problem. What can I do about it? What what do you think he'd say? What would he say if we approached him? In such a manner. Now we don't know for sure, but we can certainly look at the way he lived his life on on earth. We can look at his ministry, we can look at his habits, we can look at what he spent his time doing and, and model our lives after his and maybe hypothesize on some of the things that we should be doing more of. 
So what's the solution? How do we get a three-mile-per-hour faith? How do we eliminate hurry and focus on the things that matter? Unfortunately, contrary to what the world tells you, there isn't a magic pill or a button we can push. There isn't an app. There isn't a a magic saying. There isn't a, a fast diet. There isn't something that will magically eliminate the hurry from our lives. Being a disciple of Jesus requires patience. It requires us to sit down and commit for the long run. And if we wish to follow Jesus at a three-mile-per-hour pace, we have to live the way he lived. I think we do well to imitate these things that we're about to talk about. There's three things I want to share with you this morning that, that Jesus did that we would benefit from. The first is to find your arimos. The word arimos is used in a few different fashions in Scripture such as in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus was baptized and afterwards he goes out into the wilderness or remos to be tempted by Satan. In this case, the word was used to mean a desert, a deserted, desolate place. Other places in scripture uh, see the word used to mean solitary place, lonely place, the wilderness, a quiet place, or just simply solitude. Now you're wondering, Tyler, what does Jesus being alone in the desert tempted by Satan have to do with us? Well, you see, it's really easy to look at Arimos, to look at the wilderness, to look at a lonely place and see it as weakness. A place where we're isolated and where we're up for the grabs for Satan. But I think this is backwards. The wilderness, these lonely places, this is a place of strength. This is a place where we cling to the Lord. We see many times in the Gospels where Jesus retreats from the crowds, retreats from the busy cities, or even the 12 apostles to find solitude. Such as Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to be in a secluded place by himself. Mark 135. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Mark 6, 31 and 32. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. They went away in a boat to a secluded place by themselves. Luke 5, 16. Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. And there's more in scripture. When I say find your arimos, I'm not telling you to go isolate yourself in a lonely, dark place. Church, you already live in a lonely, dark place. This world is as dark as it gets. And even though we may be among other people, we may be among the world, we're still lonely. No, instead, I'm telling you, step away from the world. Step away from the noise. And go find your place of rest where you can pray. Not at the dinner table, not sitting here in worship, but find a place where you can withdraw and be with God. Sometimes we look at our faith like it's it's a drive-thru. We pull up. Hey, can I take your order? We pray to God. We tell him what we want, and we pull up to the second window. We get what we wanted, and we leave. It doesn't work that way. Our faith is not transactionary. We don't get to go and make a request, get what we want, and then be on our way and tell, hey, I'll see you next time I need something. 
Instead, we need to go find our rimos. Go sit and be with Jesus. Pray, study, talk to him. Just sit at his feet and be in the presence of the Lord. Start small. Do this once a week and then continually retreat to your solitude to pray and to be with Jesus. The second thing that I'm going to encourage you to do this morning is to go intentionally slow. That sounds silly, right? To intentionally put yourself in the slow lane. I don't do this. I hate the slow lane. I love living in Texas. That's like my, my number two reason for living here besides Oldham Lane was the speed limits, like 75 everywhere you go. Like New Mexico is my sad place. That's where I go when I want to be depressed because the speed limit's 55. We love the life of speed. We love to feel good. We, my mom says this all the time. You ever driving and there's someone in front of you and you're like, why are you in front of me? Are you out for a Sunday drive? My mom would say that all the time. And now I find myself hollering that at people as I drive aggressively to church on my Sunday morning anyway. Be intentional with your faith. Be the person out for a Sunday drive. Force your life to slow down. We can't go 80 miles an hour all week long and then slam on the brakes to three miles per hour for Sunday and expect to have a healthy faith. Be intentional. Find times throughout the week to enjoy the goodness of the day. You've heard the saying, stop and smell the roses. This is your invitation to stop and smell the roses. Psalm 46 ties these two ideas together. The idea of a, of a solitude and a quiet place with the idea of intentionally slowing down. Beginning in verse 1, Psalm 46, he says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Even though the world rages on around us, even though God is my refuge. And then in verse 10 and 11, a comforting command is given to you and I. He says, cease striving. He says, be still. He says, come to a stop. He says, stop what you're doing. And know that I am God. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of the hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Cease striving, church. Slow down. Now, in early service, this is the minute where I about panicked because I looked down and went, oh, we got to be done. I'm going to slow down if that's okay. And the final thing I want to encourage you to do this morning in our time together is to simplify your life. And this one might, might be a little tough to swallow. It is for me. Americans don't like to be told no. We don't like to be told that enough is enough. We don't like to be told that too much is too much because enough is never enough. We live in a day and age where I want what I want and I want it now and I want more of it. And we have this endless buffet in front of us of entertainment, hobbies to choose from, ways to spend our days. I could live three lifetimes and not do it all. And some of us not like to be told this, and I sure don't, but all the things that we fill our time with most of the things we fill our time with are not really worthy of our time. I can't tell you where in your life you need to make cuts or what things you need to weed out or what things you might need to reprioritize. Only you know that. 
But I do know that as humans, we constantly have a need for more. There's propaganda all around us pulling us in one way or another. Market research determined that the average American sees 4,000 ads a day. If you sleep for eight hours, and that means you're awake for the other 16, that averages about 250 ads an hour. And we don't like telling ourselves no. We don't like depriving ourselves. We don't like withholding ourselves from things. I can't imagine saying yes to 4,000 things a day. And I don't know that we do, but we sure don't say no as much as we ought to. Do you know what more stuff means? Do you know what more obligations mean? Do you know what it, it really means when we take on all these things? It means less of what really matters. So yes, unfortunately, or fortunately, I think we could look at it as disciples of Christ, we have to make some pretty tough decisions. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus famously tells the story of counting the cost of discipleship. This is beginning in verse 25 of Luke 14. He says, Large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king? Got to keep up here. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Now, church, when I read this, I really don't see Jesus telling us to abandon everything, to become homeless, and to stand on the street corner with the sign that says the end is near. He's telling us to eliminate the hurry from our lives. He's telling us to focus on the things that matter. He's telling us to take up our cross, to come after Jesus, and to follow him, even into death. To put him before the busyness and the hurry. To put Christ before everything else and take that three-mile-per-hour-paced walk down the narrow way with him. So I have this crazy idea, y'all. What if Jesus was right? What if Jesus was right? What if he actually knew what he was talking about? We forget that Jesus wasn't just some guy to live a few thousand years ago just to teach us some things that might make us morally right, that might just make us good people. But what if he was teaching us a way of life, the most peaceful way of life? We'd be, we'd be called radicals if we lived the way that he lived but I think that's okay. In Luke chapter 6, verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. He's not giving us a command, church. I'm going to say that again. He's not giving us a command. He's stating a fact. 
Jesus says you can't do both. You can't hurry through life and achieve a worldly dream and a Christian salvation. You will hate something and love something and be devoted to something and despise something. And it's your choice to decide which is which. He says stop trying to do it all and slow down. Church, it's okay to live at three miles per hour while the world flies by at 85. I'm going to warn you now. Living your life this way is going to look very different. You're going to stand out. You're going to be called those people. But if you needed permission this morning to simplify your life and to cut ties from the things that drag you down the highway at 85, here's your permission slip. Your permission slip comes from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And I'm going to give you this this morning as an invitation. Not mine, but the Lord's. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, come to me. Jesus invites you to remove yourself from the hurry of the world and to come sit at his feet. There are two reasons why I love this church family here. You're a godly people, but you're also a people that know how to love. So this morning, if there's something we can do for you, we invite you to let us know so that we can love on you. Let us know how we can tend to your needs. And that doesn't fit for everybody. We invite you to come and see us during the work week down at the offices. Give us a phone call. Here in a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to sing our invitation song. Some of the elders are going to join me. We'll be up here. If there's something we can do for you, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.